Alright, well, amen. Thank you for that, Brother Dan. And good morning to y'all. It's very good to see y'all out there today. Today we're going to um, continue our study of the book of Revelation. Uh, today we'll be reading chapter 15. So when you find Revelation chapter 15, would you please stand for reading God's word? Alright, Revelation chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast in its image and a number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds. O Lord God the Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was open. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again we thank you this morning. Thank you for your great and marvelous works. Lord, you do all things well. Lord, we want to acknowledge this morning your greatness, your power, your holiness. The fact, as we've just seen here, that everything that you do is right and just, good. We thank you, Father, that you're working all things for your own honor and glory, and that you're working all things together for good to those who love you and are the called according to your purpose. Lord, we thank you for salvation through Jesus Christ. We thank you for making it known, for speaking, for giving us your word. Lord, for every Christian here today, we we, we are thankful that you opened up our hearts to the truth and that you've imparted life to us. And Father, we pray, as always, asking that if there's anyone here today who does not know you in truth, that this would be the day that the, the light of the glory of God would shine in their hearts and that they would see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I ask you to enable me to speak clearly and accurately and faithfully represent the text we have before us and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Open all of our ears to hear, we pray, Father. We ask you to guard us against the enemy so that the truth is not snatched away. And against the cares of this world, so that we are not distracted 
but so that we persevere, enduring to the end. By your power, by your grace, for your glory, Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. The great and amazing works of God. I mean, that's essentially our topic today as we uh, um, look at Revelation chapter 15. You know, um, one of the places, of course, that you can go to in Scripture, if you want help contemplating, of course, there are many, but one is the book of Psalms. And uh, we just had one example earlier, uh, Psalm 111. Psalm 145 is great. Um, there are, you know, i got a, a, a couple of, of references that I was uh, looking at that I thought I would make mention of, uh, just as examples, Psalm 65.5. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and the farthest seas. Psalm 66, 5, come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of men, or man. Psalm 68, 35, awesome is God from his sanctuary the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to His people. Blessed be God. I mentioned Psalm 111 that David just read a moment ago. Verse 6, He has shown His people the power of His works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of His hands are faithful and just. All His precepts are trustworthy. When you just a couple of questions here, just to kind of get us thinking. When when you hear about the sovereignty of God, how does how do you how do you react internally? Or a phrase that I like to use just to drive home the point of God's sovereignty: the absolute sovereignty of God. When you think about that reality, the absolute sovereignty that God is sovereign over all, how do you react to that in your mind? When you hear, for example, that there is one way of salvation, Robert mentioned in Sunday school, he's talking a little bit about the expanse of the, the universe. You know, even the size of the earth is hard for me to get my mind around uh, when, when we try to think about uh, just the myriads of people, types of people, and by that I mean different cultures and languages. Uh, We're all of one blood. But many, many different cultures, many, many different ways of of, uh, doing things and sometimes thinking things and and, uh, all that's represented in different kinds of music and art and other expressions. And God's created all of that. And with all of the myriads of people groups on the face of the earth, one way of salvation... Salvation through one man, the man Jesus Christ. How do you react when you, when you think about that doctrine, that teaching, that truth? I would assert 
when you think about the reality of hell and the eternality of hell, that all who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, all who will not come, all who will not follow Christ in obedience, will suffer eternal punishment separated from God. We caught a glimpse of that in the last chapter. If you look briefly just back over at chapter 14, verse 9. Another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, that's Jesus. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. How do you respond to that in, in, your, in your mind internally? And the point I'm making is this. Either we respond to these things that, that, that I would call biblical truths. These are things that are taught uh, in the Scripture. Either we respond to these things in a positive way. That is, we embrace them. And, and we may, let, I mean, let's just all um, have full disclosure here. We may not fully understand them, right? We don't, we don't claim to fully understand all these things. But we embrace them because we know that God is good and what God does is just and right. Or, on the other hand, you may be repulsed by any one of those things or maybe all of those things and you reject them out of hand because you say, you know, um, it's, it's not fair. One way of salvation with all of these people on the face of the earth and some who have never even heard the name of Jesus, it's not fair. Eternal damnation? Who? Who has done anything worthy of the description we just read in chapter 14. point is this. You, 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 you may be um, satisfied with these things, knowing the goodness of God and accepting His will, even though we don't understand all things, or you may be repulsed by them and reject them, and in doing so, reject Him. We're going to talk about mainly two different works today. Of course, there's a lot to go under these. But um, two different categories, I guess you could say. Look at verse 1 again. Then I saw... Then. Well, where are we at here? Well, remember, we've been through the, the, uh, the opening of the seven seals. Remember, remember back in the beginning of the book, this, the, Jesus was pictured there as a lamb slain, and he's holding uh, uh, the one who sits on the throne. God the Father is holding a, a scroll in his hand sealed with seven seals, and Jesus comes and takes the scroll, and He begins to open the seven seals, and then we, we went through all of the seven seals and all the things that are represented there, and we got to the seven trumpets, which was the seventh, the open, after the opening of the seventh seal, and the sounding of the seven trumpets and all of the things that were represented there, various kinds of, of, uh, of tribulation and so forth. And now we're coming up to, and in in, uh, here and in the next chapter, um, the seven last pl- 
plagues, the final plagues, the seven bowl judgments. They're often called. You'll see the term bowl here, um, where, where it's pictured as a, as a bowl poured out, God's wrath being poured out on the earth. And what it is here is the last of God's judgment. Again, in verse 1, I saw another, another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last... For with them the wrath of God is finished. So, so note that this is this is the last, but not the last of the last. <laughs> and I'll I'll explain that. Um, this is the last of God's judgment poured out on the world before the final judgment. Before, or you could say this way: it's the last of God's judgment poured out on the world before Jesus returns. And when Jesus returns, there will be the final judgment. We often um, refer to as the great white throne judgment. Many depictions of that or allusions to that in, in Scripture. At that judgment, at the great judgment, judgment day, the judgment day, that's when the things we just read about in chapter 14 will take place, um, where Satan and all of his followers are cast in to the lake of fire, where they will remain forever. So in the ultimate sense, that's the final expression of God's wrath and the last of the last of His judgment, you could say. That's the, the, the final and fullness uh, of His judgment. But this is the last of His judgment upon the world in this age, before the second coming of Christ. And that's, what we have, uh, that's what we're approaching here in chapter 15. That's what will be um, poured out with, with the uh, seven bold judgments, the seven last plagues. God's finishing, His completion of His wrath on the world in this age. So, John says, He saw seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last for with them the wrath of God is finished. So, I said we're going to think about two things primarily in terms of God's great and amazing works, right? So, number one is the great and amazing works of God in judgment. The great and amazing works of God in judgment. Now, that's, I think, part of what, and we're going to get to this song in a minute. I'm, I'll give you a little... Uh, um, a little bit of it here, down in verse 3, midways in verse 3, where they're singing, Great and amazing are your deeds. Or you get to the end of the verse 4, and it says, For your righteous acts have been revealed. Well, see, we want to put that in context. What, what, what works, what deeds are they talking about? And, and that's what I'm getting at with these two points. And the first one is the great and amazing works of God in judgment. Great and amazing are your works in judgment, if you wanted to paraphrase it. Your righteous acts in judgment have been revealed. Now, there's essentially two aspects of God's judgment in, in, in terms of, uh, of time, uh, temporality. In other words, um, we, we could be speaking of judgment now. Or we could be speaking of future judgment. So, in fact, let's consider both of those things. We just talked a little bit about future judgment. 
Uh, and I think both of these, these things are, are, are future. Certainly the, the last, the, the judgment day, the great white throne judgment, that is yet future. Well, I think the, the seven bold judgments that we're about to read about in the, in the next uh, chapters are also in our future. And I think these are things that take place at the, at the very uh, end of the age before Jesus returns. So we've been, uh, we've been pointing this out as we go. Um, there's always trouble on the earth because of the curse, because of the fall. Just like we've been talking about in Sunday school. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned against God, uh, we're all born sinners. There's been trouble ever since. Jesus said to those who followed Him, In the world you have tribulation. That's just a reality. But He said, Be of good cheer, I've conquered the world, right? But in the world we have trouble. But it's going to escalate. It seems to me what we're, what we're seeing here as we move through the book of Revelation... Other places you can look at, like Luke 21, Matthew 13, uh, Matthew um, 24, I'm sorry, Matthew 24, Luke 21, and, and Mark 13. Um, it seems that what, what Jesus and others are describing is an escalation of tribulation as we get close to the end. And that's going to be the result of two things. One, uh, Satan uh, j- just coming with everything he's got trying to destroy the church. He'll be um, unleashed, so to speak, or at least given more leash, right? So that uh, he is able for a time to overcome the church temporarily, but um, he'll do so nonetheless. And the other thing is, what we're reading about here is God will be pouring out his wrath on the world. Now, for the Christians, um, we will be protected by that somehow. Confident of that. This is that's one of the things that one of the reasons that this is given to us to assure us that God is in control of these things. And believers, those who know Jesus Christ, are not subjects of, of God's wrath. Jesus has taken the wrath that we deserve upon Himself uh, at at the cross two thousand years ago, right? But we'll be here during that time, so things get bad nonetheless. It's a, it's a, tri- a time of great tribulation. So while Christians won't experience the wrath of God, they will experience hardship that is taking place in the world. So that's future. The final judgment day is future. And those are final and and fuller, I guess you could say. In fact, the the final judgment certainly be the, the fullness. But those are fuller expressions of God's wrath. But there's also present wrath. That is, God is expressing His wrath now. Let me give you a couple of passages for that. Look, let's look at John 3. Everybody's familiar with John 3, right? Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus. Uh, even if you watch uh, NFL, you, you get exposed to John 3.16, right? <laughs> Other sporting events. <laughs> Somehow or some other, somewhere or another. It's either on somebody's gear somewhere. Or uh, somebody in the stands holding up a sign. Um, so everybody's pretty much familiar with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And of course that implies that if you do not believe, you will perish. Teaching that is uh, explicitly taught uh, in other places, like the one we just read in Revelation 14. But look for a minute at John 
Again, chapter 3, verse 18. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. That's judged in a, in a negative way. Just like it sounds. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. It's interesting, isn't it? It doesn't say, whoever does not believe will be condemned at the last day or something like that. Although that would be true as well. But that's not how he puts it. He says, if you don't believe, you're condemned already. And we get a little bit more insight to that down in verse 36. John 3:36. Whoever believes in the Son, and of course in Jesus, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Again, notice the present tense. If you believe in the Son, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. Now. <laughs> It's not it, it, future, yes, but, but not merely future. You have eternal life now. If, because here's the thing. If you have Christ, He is life. If you have Christ, you have eternal life. All right, so whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Now listen to this. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now, Notice two things here. First of all, he uses the term obey interchangeably with faith. Whoever believes, faith. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey. You would expect him to say whoever does not believe. But he uses the term obey. He uses them, they're synonymous. In other words, if you believe, you obey. And if you obey, it's because you believe. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So the second thing there, the wrath of God remains. He he doesn't say, well, if you don't believe, then you know what? The the wrath of God is going to get you one day. No, he says, it's not lifted, it's not taken away, It, it remains. In other words, it's already active. It's already there, it's already present. It's already operating. The wrath of God is on you. And if you don't believe, it stays there. It remains. That's present. Now, um, how does that play out? I'll try to do this quickly. And, and uh, if you all have questions about it, we can deal with that tonight, Lord willing. But flip over to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Look at verse 25. We're jumping in the middle of the sentence here, but I said I was going to try to do it quickly. Whom God put forward, it's talking about Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. In other words, it's through His death that we have forgiveness of sins, um, that our sins are taken away, and he, he bore our punishment. That's what propitiation means. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show... This was to show God's righteousness. Remember that. Cause we'll come back to that in a moment. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be, the, might be just and the justifier of the one who, the one who believes. 
So God is, is demonstrating His righteousness. Now flip back just a, a couple of chapters to uh, chapter 1, verse 18. Chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed. That's a present tense verb. It's, it's being revealed now. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Now the idea here is that they, in spite of that, they reject it. And verse 23 says, They've exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Idolatry, in other words. So people are worshiping something other than God. Therefore, verse 24, here's where the wrath being revealed comes into play. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. So, verse 24, God gave them up in their lust. That is, He he gives them over to do um, the things that they desire to do. The dishonorable, the sinful things they desire to do. Verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. He gives them over to do that. For their women exchanged the natural relationships for those that are contrary to nature, homosexuality. Verse 27, And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another, homosexuality. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, here's the deal, and, and that's just one example there, but all, it applies to all sin. He gives them over to do what they want to do. That's the judgment that is currently in operation. Suppose you had a child that was about to run in the street in front of a bus, moving bus, and you had time to do something about it, well, you would do something about it, wouldn't you? You'd stop the child, yell at the child or whatever, get out of the street, don't play in the street, you'll get hit by a bus. But suppose you let the child do what they want to do. You give them over to their desires. Then they're probably going to get hit by the bus and perish, right? That's the idea here. That's judgment. That's judgment that is happening now. He gives those who reject the gospel over to their sinful lust. And again, I'm using the term lust, not not strictly in a sexual way. That's a part of it. But I'm just talking about any kind of sinful desires. The Bible uses the term lust a lot to describe that. Any, Any kind of sin, any kind of rebellion, any kind of idolatry, loving something more than God. So that's present judgment. Great and amazing are God's works in judgment. Future judgment and present judgment. And secondly, 
great and amazing, or if you, you could say the great and amazing works of God in salvation. Now let's read this song before we go back and talk about that and we, in the few minutes we have remaining here. Um, and I'll just pick up in verse 2. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sang the song of Moses, the servant, the servant of God and the song of the Lamb. Now, we, we, we've just been talking about those who took the mark of the beast. In other words, they reject the gospel and they serve sin and Satan and self. And we've been talking about their end, which is destruction. They go to damnation. The wrath of God abides on them now. And unless they repent, the wrath of God will remain on them forever. That's true of every, every person, all right? Unless you repent. The wrath of God is on you now. Unless you repent, the wrath of God will, will, you will experience forever and ever. Well, now we're talking about a different group of people. Those, verse 2, who had conquered, the ones who conquered, the, the, the conquering ones. They conquered the beast. In other words, they weren't worshiping the beast. They weren't following the, the beast around and marveling like we saw earlier on. They weren't given over to the will of the beast and the worship of the beast. They conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name. Standing beside the sea of glass, John saw them with harps of God in their hands. And they sing... The song of Moses, which, by the way, is the song of deliverance That's in Exodus 15. Uh, it's probably the, what he's referring to here. Uh, it's when God delivered the children of Israel uh, from the Egyptians at the Red Sea. You know the story. God parted the water, and they went through on dry ground. And then when the Egyptian soldiers tried to follow them, um, Yul Brenner and all of his men were uh, swallowed up, right? Okay. Okay, that's the fictional version. But the true version is all, all of Pharaoh's army were drowned there. And that was a great deliverance. But the people of Israel, they couldn't stand against the Egyptian army. And they had, they had the, Egypt, the pursuing Egyptian army on one side of them and in front of them the Red Sea. Nowhere to go. They couldn't fight and they had nowhere to go. At least it appeared they had nowhere to go. So God parts the water and He gets them across safely. He destroys the enemy. Great deliverance. So you've got this lengthy song of deliverance in Exodus 15 as they worship God for His great and amazing works of salvation. In fact... But before he parted the water, he told Moses, stand still. Tell the people, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And he delivered them from the approaching Egyptian army. Well, here, these people, those who have conquered the beast, which is the, this is much worse, by the way, the, the beast is much worse than the Egyptian army. This is the, the, the final uh, expression of evil uh, you know, by Satan and his and his kingdom. Now, those who conquer the beast and its image and the number of its name, they are standing, praising God, singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying in verse 3, Great and amazing are your deeds. I mean, if, if delivering a people um, from, a, from a, an Egyptian army was amazing, how much more amazing is delivering a people out of the bondage of sin? And not deliverance from a Pharaoh, but deliverance from Satan and indwelling sin. 
eternal damnation. Listen, deliverance from the wrath of God. Because that's ultimately what we're being delivered from, right? Have you ever thought about that? What, what are we saved from? God. No, I didn't, I didn't misspeak. Yes, he, he saves us from His own wrath. Because He is holy, He must deal with sin. He cannot tolerate it. And so, as we've seen presently, His wrath is poured out on sin in measure. But in the end, it's going to be poured out full strength, just like we saw in chapter 14. So He's delivered these people from that. So they sing, great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord. God, and by the way, notice where the credit's going. Because, uh, you know, we saw in verse 2 here, who are these people? Those who conquered the beast. So you, you would think they would be standing up saying, boy, we really did something great, didn't we? Conquering the beast. All the credit's going to God. You know why? Because they didn't conquer the beast on their own power. <laughs> it, was, it was through the power of God. Great and amazing are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways. And that's one reason I was asking earlier, how do you respond to these doctrines that are so controversial, like hell, or one way of salvation, that Jesus demands submission, repentance, obedience? How do you respond to those things? Here's how they responded. Just and true are your way. They know God is just. He's right. Whatever He does is right and good. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts. have been revealed. Now, two things here, and then we're done. I told you when we were in Romans 3 to remember what Paul said there. Everybody remember that? I'll read it again. Just so. Keep your mind on this, this last part of verse 4 here. For your righteous acts have been revealed. What they're saying is, your justice, your, your right judgment, your righteousness has been revealed in what you do, in your acts, in your, in your works in wrath, and in your works in salvation. Your right judgment, your, your righteousness, your righteous acts have been made manifest in those things, in judgment and in salvation. Now, here's how Paul says it again in Romans. Uh, remember, back in uh, I won't go back to Romans 1, but remember in, in Romans 1, God is judging there, in, uh, uh, cast, uh, or, or uh, executing judgment against unrighteousness, right? So He's righteously judging sin. Well, now here, this is more focused on salvation. Verse 21, Romans 3.21, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace. That means Jew and Gentile, all people, without exception. And are justified by His grace as a gift 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood, remember that, to be received by faith. This was to show, here's the part I told you to remember earlier, this was to show God's righteousness. What's He talking about there? What, what are they talking about over here in Revelation? Your righteous acts have been revealed, made manifest. Well, the first one's a no-brainer. I mean, it's easy, right? Sin deserves punishment. So when God punishes sin, His righteous acts or His right judgment is made manifest. Guy steals a car, he gets caught and thrown in jail, and you can say, well, you know what? Um, our system worked there. The righteous acts of our judicial system worked properly. God stole the car, he gone to jail. It's the same type of thing. We sin, we perish. That's, that's just justice. The wages of sin is death, so people sin, God brings judgment, that's justice. His righteous acts are revealed in that. But wait a minute. What about, what about those who are saved? What about the conquerors that we're reading about over in Revelation 15? Because we're all sinners, right? I mean, we're not, we're not saved today because we don't have sin. We're not saved because we're somehow uh, different in essence. I'm better. I'm better than other people. That's why I'm saved. That's not the case. The Bible doesn't teach that. We're all sinners. All, we just read it. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's everybody without exception. So what about God's justice? You got, now you've got a group of people who sin. The wages of sin is death. But they're getting off the hook, it looks like. <laughs> he's given them life. Believe, he's, he's, he's enabled them to conquer the beast and have eternal life. Be in His presence forever and ever and ever. So where's the justice? Where's the righteousness in that? Suppose you've got a rapist proven guilty and he goes before a judge and the judge says, you know what, all the evidence is against you. We have proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are guilty and you know what, I think I'm going to let you go. He bangs the gavel down and he says, you're free to walk. Oh, there'd be an outcry. Unjust judge, right? Unjust judgment. So how can God just set sinners free and still remain just? That's what Paul is talking about. That's the question he's addressing. Well, he can do it, Paul says, because he has set forth Jesus as a propitiation for our sins. In other words, the payment is made. The penalty is paid. The judgment for our sin is executed. Nothing is, nothing is getting swept under the rug. As a child of God, my sin is paid for. Now tell me that's not great and amazing. If you know anything about my sin, you know that's great and amazing. That's the great, amazing works of God in salvation. That He maintains His own integrity. Justice, holiness, while at the same time rescuing sinners. How does he do that? John 3.16 sent his own son into the world so that whoever believes on him should not perish. Because you know what? If you believe on Christ, if you obey Christ, like we saw 
earlier when we were looking at John 3. If you obey Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, His payment for sin is, is put to your account. His righteousness is put to your account. And so the penalty is paid. The righteousness that you and I need to be in right standing with God is in Christ. The payment for sins that you and I need to make to wipe out that debt is made in Christ. And in that, God's righteous acts are revealed. Great and amazing. Now you see why the the psalmist says, Awesome is God. Awesome is God from His sanctuary. Come and see, psalmist says in Psalm 66.5. Come and see what God has done. His works are great and amazing. His works in judgment and His works in salvation. Would, would you stand, please? i just close by saying this. Look, if... if uh, if you're here today and you know Christ, you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, um, there is great reason to rejoice. In, in spite of what lies ahead in this world, God's in control. He's, he's got us. He's got us in, in, his, in His sight. He's got us in His hand. He's not going to lose us. Great and amazing is His work of salvation. And if you're here today and you do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, then I, then I, I, I ask you um, to consider these things. Because these things are true. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, you will know Him as Judge. So come to Christ. Submit to Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your works. We thank You, Lord, that there's a day ahead when You will set all things right. All of the injustices that we know about now will be taken care of. Not by us, but by You, Your power, Your timing. And we thank You, Lord, for the great salvation that You have provided in Christ Jesus. And I do pray, again, if there's anybody in this room today who does not know You in truth, Lord, grant an awakening in their soul. Enable them to see the depth of their own sin and enable them to see the one, true, only Savior, Jesus, and their need for Him. May it be so, we pray, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.